listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. On this show, I have candid conversations about chronic illness with both patients and practitioners. In other words, humans like you and me. I'm also the founder of Wellacopia, the matching site for healthcare relationships. Visit wellacopia.com to connect with your ideal medical or wellness practitioners. Today's episode features Sneha Dave, a powerhouse advocate, journalist, and community leader who at 22 is already more accomplished and influential than almost any adult I've ever met. On top of it all, she has ulcerative colitis. Sneha's resume of accomplishments, big and small, is impressive to say the least. But more importantly, everything she puts her mind to is geared towards the greater good. Here are just a select few I'd like to mention. Sneha is a recent graduate of Indiana University, double majoring in journalism and a major she created, chronic illness advocacy. She is the executive director of multiple nonprofit organizations, one of which is the Health Advocacy Summit. The summits are designed to be a safe space for teens with chronic conditions to meet and discuss what strategies have worked and what ones have failed them. So no doctors, nurses, or pharmaceutical reps are allowed to participate. Seha also created a special program of the Health Advocacy Summit, the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network which facilitates a paid fellowship program for young adults with inflammatory bowel diseases. And lastly, at least for this episode, Sneha writes for various media outlets such as US News and World Report, Yahoo News, and Huffington Post. And she has been selected twice as an academic fellow for the Association of Healthcare Journalists. Oh, and she's worked in research at Harvard. No biggie. I think that's enough for now. As for the episode itself, in part one, we talk about graduating during COVID, Sneha's story along with barriers from cultural insensitivities, and how our healthcare system wasn't designed for young adults. Before we get started, a reminder that all conversations and health claims on this podcast are based on individual experiences and expertise. Everyone has their own personal and professional truths and should be treated as such. Okay, let's get started. This is my finals week, so it's been like oh, wow. a little stressful. Oh yeah, we should not have <laughs> scheduled that last week in particular. Wow, I'm glad that we- I am yeah. very bad. Yeah, that's like one of my biggest weaknesses is that I just plan everything at every time when I know I should not be planning things at every time, but I still do that. So anyway, but yeah. Yeah, I know. You're- you're clearly someone who as like, I, I mean, look, I was reading all about you. I was like, God damn, <laughs> you are, um, you persevere, you know, you're, you're impressive for someone like, I don't personally like to put people in a bucket, like, oh, you're really impressive for someone with a chronic illness. It's like, no, you're an impressive human being. And <laughs> of course is an added, um, just this added level of difficulty when you're dealing with a chronic illness. Definitely, for yeah. Sure. But yeah, like uh, I was really impressed. I saw, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that I haven't even found because I looked you up in multiple different mediums and oh, I yeah. saw new things each time. I was like, 
what where is the comprehensive list <laughs> uh, but um yeah i'm really glad you reached out i think i feel like i maybe heard about you from someone else before you reached out to us uh -huh. like a while like a while ago maybe it was related to wellacopia my company oh interesting Might yeah. have, you connected with someone there maybe maybe yeah boy i yeah <laughs> when i was first starting how bad she said i think i reached out to almost everyone so oh, yeah. well, everyone in the chronics space, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah because yeah. like especially being from indiana too there's just not like a lot of opportunities nearby so it's like you really have to be like a lot more proactive because there's like a lot of geographic disparities with advocacy and stuff so it's very different but yeah that makes sense are you where are you in indiana so i'm um in greenwood which you probably haven't heard of but um it's like 30 minutes away from indianapolis and it's about an hour away from my college which is iu bloomington cool and so did you graduate are you graduating like now <laughs> yeah like tomorrow maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure. It's kind of an abstract graduation, of course, because like, you know, we're not going to have one for real, but I have to give a, a commencement speech for my college, um, like virtually, and I was supposed to do that May 1st, but obviously that hasn't happened, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. Probably. Oh, you're going to be a commencement speaker? Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, will be hard for me to do virtually, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, you've done a bunch of interviews. You now know what it's like to do something big virtually. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be like pre-recorded. So my parents are going to record it and then it'll just like be put out. Cool. Part of the video. So, but yeah. Nice. Have you seen John Krasinski's uh, Some Good News? Yes, I have. I've seen one episode of it. Yeah. I, uh, highly, I haven't seen all of them either, but the last one I watched uh, was about people graduating right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so sweet I, I if you haven't seen it I absolutely recommend that yeah. you yeah no it's crazy it was just so abrupt for all of us and so it's like it's like you don't really even have time to process that you're leaving college because it's like you were at college now you're online now you're at home so it's like there hasn't been an in-between and I know so many people particularly in uh, media the media field that have lost their jobs or their internships which is very very hard because one of my majors is journalism so um yeah that's been like yeah it's been really sad to see because journalism obviously is very important right now especially so yeah I was actually thinking maybe it's because they're interns but now would be a great time for people to right right well unfortunately it's because there's not enough funding so it's like mm -hmm. people journalists I mean all these local um news outlets are laying off a lot of journalists so particularly here it's it's scary because I mean the local journalists are the ones that keep um our local government accountable especially in Indiana it's really good since um our state-by-state -state government and then our national government everyone's kind of uh contradicting each other so <laughs> news is important right now um I remember I remember it wasn't that long ago um <laughs> like in mid-March um when everything started really falling down on us with the pandemic um, my best friend actually got diagnosed with COVID relatively oh. early when all this started happening. She's okay now. Um, but she, she said she was getting calls from like, um, the National Institute of Health and people in like the New, in New York State Health and, and they were all telling her different things to do. 
can imagine. She was like, I don't know what to listen to. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine how scary and frustrating that must have been because that was, she must have been like right at the beginning of everything. So it's odd because it wasn't the beginning of the pandemic by any means, but it was the beginning of America really taking it seriously and shut yeah. doors. And yeah, I was actually in New York City for that entire, like I was supposed to be there for all of March. It was just a random thing. My husband had a rotation there. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm so excited to go back home for, for a month. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, we got there March 1st and New York City's first case was March 1st. Wow. Oh no. And I was like, oh, this is about to get bad. <laughs> like, seeing the New York City subway. Who's yeah. your doctor there, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, definitely. His name is Dr. Columbell. John Frederick Columbell. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 um, definitely one of the more senior physicians there and definitely ones that like are practicing not necessarily the old type of medicine but the old type of way of communicating with patients ah uh, gotcha well I'd really like to know more about I mean I'm all about communication and patient practitioner relationships that's like my bread and butter so uh yeah I'd like to really like your input on that yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's really it's an interesting thing because I grew up in Indiana so um like there where I grew up it's very homogenous in terms of demographic and so my pediatric gastroenterologist was completely dismissive of like culture when it comes to treating a patient especially a pediatric patient and how parents because both my parents are immigrants um and so it's it was like it was really interesting like reflecting back on how he could have handled situations better um, and how if he just understood culture a little bit more in communication with um, parents who necessarily were not born here, I think it would have been really, my care would have been very different, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's really what fascinating. Were, yeah. What were some examples of, uh, I guess, hurdles you, you guys had to jump over for that? Yeah. So I, so uh, my dad is actually a doctor too. Um, and my mom's a pharmacist, but with that being said, they both are still, they're very much, you know, in, in line with Western medicine, but I think they still have a part of them that wants to um, believe in alternative medicine as a sub substitute for Western medicine in some situations. And um, one thing about Indian communities too, not to generalize, but it's kind of a trend, um, is that um, we tend to wait until the very last minute until surgery. So, I mean, I should have gotten surgery five years before I did probably, so we waited like at the very, very last minute just because there's so much stigma and it's not my parents' fault like in any way, shape or form, but just like the way that they've sort of been brought up and just the whole perceptions about surgery are very, very different. Um, and I also feel like, you know, my physician, um, my pediatric physician not being kind of dismissive of um, alternative treatments in respect to Western treatments kind of pushed my parents away a little bit more too. Um, and of course, mental health is not addressed in Indian communities as, at all either. So that's been really, really tough, I think. Um, and, you know, I still struggle with my parents for them to understand. Um, and they're getting a lot better. And my sister is like a huge advocate for me, too. She's really awesome. But it took them until recognizing that there's actually a biological connection between the gut and the brain for them to really take mental health seriously. And so um, that's been really interesting. And, and they're 
the best parents ever. They're super, super supportive. I mean, I just, yeah, but it's just, it's very different. And I didn't realize that until recently either. So, Yeah, uh, culture plays such a big role in how we experience our healthcare. Uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 of, and of course, our, our parents. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can have the most wonderful parents in the world and it's still not necessarily align with maybe what's best for you. I, I've definitely experienced that myself. Yeah. So, um, like I, I never like to throw my dad under the bus, but he like ama amazing father, amazing father. Yeah. I still don't think he really believes that I, so I have fibromyalgia and hypermobility syndrome and he does I mean, look, I've been in pain since I was eight. Like that's the first time I started really complaining about things mm -hmm. and he gets that something's going on, but because he can't see it and there aren't real diagnostics, um, mm -hmm. or what I'm experiencing, you know, he, he kind of like, what? No, I think you just want to be, you just want to be sick or something like that. He hasn't said anything directly in a long time, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's really tough. That's, and I think it's sometimes denial on behalf of parents too. It's like, they don't want you to be like this. Or they don't want you to have to be like this. So they're trying to like get it out of your head, but it's not in your head. And that's something that I still struggle with too. It's like both my parents are, they're very validating of my symptoms, but they're not, they're still very much in denial and they've been in denial their whole lives. So, which like, I can't even imagine having a child with a chronic illness. I mean, it's something to go through, but I mean, I would, like, I get flustered even when my mom is just like normal people sick. So yeah, <laughs> it's that's like, that is um, a really great point, actually, that I don't think people talk about a lot when when it's um, a loved one who maybe doesn't believe you or is giving you a hard time. If you think about it from their perspective, really hard for them to admit that something's wrong with their their child, let's say. And parents tend to blame themselves, though they shouldn't. It's like, you know, we we were born this way or grew into it this way for number of reasons right yeah. uh and really the best way they can help us is by being on our side but it's it's really tough right tough. yeah no I and I some like legitimate I mean not that mine are not legitimate but right. you right. had surgery <laughs> there's something very visible um internally yes. about what you've experienced right yeah 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 no and in, in a way like I mean I I can't I mean I really empathize with fibromyalgia and, and ME CFS I think those are really tough because I mean it's a whole another dimension of potential denial from parents and everything like that and it's also I mean I think I think my parents don't admit this but I think they really needed therapy while I was really sick because even so once again where I live in my community there's not I mean it's very church centered and there's not like a lot of um, support that my parents had locally so I think it was just kind of them navigating this on their own which was really tough for them and I think that it made them feel a lot more regret internally and a lot more um like it was their fault so I was born in West Virginia and one of the um you know things that my dad says is that you know maybe if we didn't go to West Virginia you wouldn't have had this or something like that which he knows is kind of true not true but it's still like a thing where he's always finding things that might have caused ulcerative colitis, even though we don't really know exactly the root cause of colitis. So, so when were you diagnosed? Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when I was six years old. Oh wow! Yeah. So, 
quite early. And, and, you know, fortunately for me, my diagnosis journey was not like a year or two years. It was, I was like diagnosed pretty fast um, because, so when I was a little under six years old, my mom started finding um, blood in my stool and I was, uh, had a lot of diarrhea. I had a lot of accidents. Um, and of course, when you're six, you're kind of past that phase or you're supposed to be past that phase. And so um, my mom thought that she gave me too much ibuprofen because she's a pharmacist. So she was like, <laughs> things. she's like, maybe I did this, maybe I did that. But then um, I had recurrent symptoms. So she took me to the pediatrician and um, then I was given an endoscopy and colonoscopy. And it's really funny because I was so excited that I was getting to miss school and I was like getting all this special treatment and I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so it was like really kind of like a new thing in my life. And so um, I got the test results pretty fast and then I got the diagnosis of colitis pretty much right away. Um, but, and so, you know, then my entire journey started. I started, you know, it, the excitement quickly, very quickly faded when I had to start taking a lot of medications, my diet changed. Um, I started feeling a lot worse physically. And of course, like, you know, steroids, especially 40, 60 milligrams when you're, you know, seven, eight years old is, is really tough on the body. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, it's been, it's been quite a journey, but I've, I've, yeah, it's, and you know, you never really learn how to live with the disease either. So it's like, I've had it since I was six and I'm still trying to navigate every single social situation. And it doesn't really, you know, you get more used to it and you accept it more, but it doesn't really get easier to have necessarily. So. That's, and I'm glad that you state that truth because it's, uh, it's important to be optimistic let's say and see things in a, a positive light but at the same time understanding that it's not like it's just going to be everything's going to be better one day um if things uh certain things can get better and you learn how to manage them um and i and i guess this is true for different illnesses i'm talking really across the board here but uh but it is an ongoing journey and frankly this is, this is personally how i feel about life uh i love the ups and downs of life some some downs really suck, uh, but they make us really strong and um, and through each and through each uh, let's say just I guess issue that we uh, work through uh, allows us to work towards better and more important things going forward. Uh, and I think that you are a perfect example of someone who has done that. Um, there's a lot we could talk about in regards to what you have done for our community, both the like um, IBD community as well as just the chronic illness community. So I'm like, where should we start? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, can you tell us in, what are, what are you working on that you are most excited about these days? Let's, let's start there. So um, definitely I'm most excited about and most passionate and energetic about Health Advocacy Summit. So um, Health Advocacy Summit is a nonprofit organization that facilitates advocacy events and year-long programming for young adults, um, adolescents and young adults with chronic and rare illnesses. So um, we have actual events, but then we have year-long programs that we do as well. And so um, we are gaining a lot of momentum with this, especially because 
I think society as a whole is recognizing this huge gap that we've forgotten. You know, there's like pediatric advocacy, there's adult advocacy, but there's nothing for this time in between, which is often sometimes the most crucial time for development so socially, um, you know, emotionally, and just figuring out kind of who you are at this time. And so I think it's been really fascinating that no intervention has really um, there's been very little intervention for um, patients in this kind of age demographic. And so we're really excited to be targeting this age demographic because we are young adults with chronic, med chronic medical disabilities ourselves. So um, it's, it's like, you know, we're doing work for our peers, which is really exciting. And we're doing work with our peers, which is really exciting. Um, how do you define this age group, by the way? Yeah, so... This age group is very, very tough to define because um, chronic illness, you know, can take a lot of years away um, from an individual. So, you know, you might be 15, but you lost a few years to be, you know, from being in isolation or something like that. So I would, def we've kind of um, indefinitely defined this term as um, young adults ages 13 to 30. Um, and so we have a, a large age group because, um, you know, for me, exam for example, I was in a, in a form of isolation from um, middle school up until the middle of high school. And so, you know, I was maybe 15 or 16, but developmentally, I felt maybe 12 years old. So um, and I kind of had to catch up as soon as I got better and started having all these surgeries. So this age group is very difficult to define. And I think in general, for people, for people with chronic illnesses, age is a very, um, in a way, kind of a touchy subject. Too. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't have thought of that of it that way in terms of development, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, where do you think when you actually when you talk about sort of delayed development in that way, what specifically comes to mind? Yeah, so um, you know, with delayed development for an individual who's who's been kind of really sick, especially throughout their childhood. I would say a huge factor is nutrition, um, the ability to grow, um, uh, you know, physically, of course, but I also think that mentally and emotionally, especially if you're in isolation or if you're not around people your age, you're not getting that same social interaction. Um, you're not really getting the ability to navigate situations that your peers are navigating and the challenges that are really important to navigate as adolescents and young adults. Um, you're not getting those experiences. You're getting a whole different side of, of being a young adult as, as a patient. So um, I think you're just, there's just a lot that an individual, especially young adult patient is missing out on um, as they're growing up. And, you know, there's so many other factors that are going to be in our ways, especially as we're aging, things like jobs, um, navigating higher education, um, you know, navigating just mental health and of course, one of the biggest stressors, insurance in our healthcare system, which has not really been designed for um, young adults. I mean, 26 years old, you get kicked off your parents' private insurance or your insurance, parents' insurance in general. Um, and so I think it's really tough because you're already in this stage where you're transitioning to have to deal with all these other external pressures is, is makes for a really difficult situation. Yeah, quarter life crisis, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Are you, you're 22? I'm 21, actually. I'll be 22 soon, uh, and on May 19th. And actually, fun fact, my birthday is um, on May 19th, which is also World Inflammatory Bowel Disease Day. So 
I got lucky there, I guess. Um, well, happy almost birthday. That's very exciting. <laughs> I know, yeah. Wow. And you're going to be like commencement speaker and graduating and all this, all this great stuff. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things. Hit our subscribe button, leave feedback with a review, and share this episode with a loved one. Don't forget to check out our official Invisible Not Broken Network Facebook group. Please join us in our community conversations where you can ask questions, connect with fellow Invisible Illness peers, and make suggestions for the podcast. Visit facebook.com slash groups slash invisible not broken. And this link will of course be in the show notes. Also, if you ever want to submit a question or suggestion directly, feel free to send an email to chronic illness podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in and being part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.